send your money in those ways. All right, Matthew chapter 27. Started last week uh, looking at uh, the six miracles of Calvary. The six miracles of Calvary. Last week uh, we talked about the darkness uh, that came on uh, the earth at, uh, at noon that day and lasted uh, until 3 o'clock. If you look with me uh, in Matthew chapter 27, uh, verse 51, we'll see uh, the next event. When it says, And behold, uh, the curtain of the temple was torn in two uh, from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks uh, were split. Uh, and so the second miracle uh, that is mentioned uh, chronologically next uh, after the darkness is this uh, extremely important uh, tearing of the veil uh, in the temple. Uh, again, all of these miracles, as you're going to see uh, as we go through these miracles, uh, you're going to see that all of them are events that, um, you know, again, it's, uh, it's kind of like being John 3.17. Uh, you know, I, that, I, I tell people all the time, I feel sorry for John 3.17. Uh, it lives in the shadow of John 3. You know, everybody in and out of the church can talk about uh, John 3.16, but very few know uh, 3.17 or 3.14. 15 for that matter. Uh, well, that's kind of the way these miracles are. The, the resurrection, obviously, is the, uh, the headliner. Uh, but these miracles that are going on uh, are extremely important uh, to the story. Uh, if these were the Academy Awards, uh, they would win the award for the best supporting actor. Uh, these, award, these miracles are, uh, are extremely important uh, to the message uh, and to the whole story. Uh, of the resurrection, and in particular, uh, this may, uh, in many ways, be you know. Uh, next week, I may say this uh, again, but uh, this miracle, in many ways, could be labeled uh, as the most significant, uh, the most important uh, miracle uh, of uh, of the group, and that is again uh, the tearing uh, of the temple, uh, tearing of the veil uh, in the temple, uh, and. Uh, there's some uh, because uh, that it's mentioned here in the same verse uh, as the earthquake. Uh, there are some who say, uh, well, it's not really a miracle. Uh, the earthquake uh, caused the veil uh, to, uh, to tear. The problem with that story is it's kind of hard to believe that there was an earthquake uh, that tore a veil in the temple but didn't tear down the temple. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like you know, if, if there was some event uh, that tore your living room curtains but didn't uh, you know, knock uh, your drink off the coffee table. Uh, it would kind of be hard to believe uh, that there is a, uh, a connection between uh, the earthquake uh, and uh, the, or that there's a, there is a connection. But there's no cause uh, between the two. The earthquake didn't cause uh, the veil uh, to be torn and then leave, them, uh, leave the two pieces uh, hanging there. Uh, again, if you shook, you know, if, if a building, for example, uh, you know, if we had a, uh, an earthquake that shook, uh, and I don't know that you can, you can tell they're sticking there. If we had an event that tore these curtains in half, you would expect there to be some damage somewhere else in this building. 
Uh, and so uh, this is a significant uh, event uh, in its own. And the Bible is very clear. Uh, actually, if you back up uh, to verse uh, 50, it says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit, and behold, uh, the, the, the veil was rent. Uh, and so we see here uh, the connection is not between the earthquake and the torn temple, uh, the torn veil, but the connection is between the loud voice and uh, the torn veil, the shout uh, of Jesus Christ and, and the torn uh, veil that took place. And again, uh, it's important, several things as we uh, move into this, it's important as well uh, to notice that it was torn from the top to the bottom. Had it been torn from the bottom to the top, you could say somebody came in and, and, and ripped it apart. But by being torn from up at the top down, uh, something, again, miraculous uh, has happened. Something uh, extraordinary uh, has happened. And, and, and again, uh, it's clear in this verse, uh, as you look at uh, what this passage says, that uh, it says uh, here that the temple was, the veil was torn uh, from uh, top to bottom, uh, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Uh, and so uh, what we have here, uh, again, is that uh, the order that takes place here uh, is a shout of Jesus, uh, the veil was torn, then the earthquake. Uh, and they are all distinguishable events. They are not, uh, again, uh, there. The, the, all these events uh, were a result uh, of this shout uh, from Calvary. Uh, the tearing of the veil, the earthquake, uh, all of these things came about uh, because uh, of this final cry uh, of Jesus Christ uh, from, uh, from Calvary. Another thing we need to understand before we go uh, digging very far is we need to understand uh, exactly uh, what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, a veil in the temple. Uh, again, it's not something that, uh, that we practice. We don't have this uh, today. Haven't had it since this event, uh, in, in fact. And so when we're talking about uh, the veil uh, in the temple, uh, again, the temple had taken the place of the Old Testament tabernacle. The tabernacle was portable. They carried it around with them and where they set it up, and that was where uh, the priest would do uh, their functions. But when they were settled uh, into the Promised Land, when they came into Jerusalem, they built a permanent structure, and in that permanent structure, uh, there was, uh, again, this, uh, this, uh, this veil. Uh, and so the veil, uh, the veil had been in the tabernacle. Uh, it carried over, and it was part uh, of the structure uh, of uh, the the temple. A lot of difference between the two buildings. Uh, again, the tabernacle was portable. It was basically a tent. Uh, the temple was a magnificent structure. Uh, it was not portable. But one thing that stayed the same uh, was. Uh, the veil uh, that stayed uh, inside the temple. Uh, and uh, again, it was a reproduction uh, of the same type veil uh, that had been uh, in uh, the tabernacle. 
and it's pretty obvious uh, to us what uh, the function uh, of a veil or a, a curtain would be our, our word for it. It's pretty obvious what the function uh, of a curtain is. If we have uh, some event in this building and, and, and we pull uh, the curtain shut, it, the, the function is obvious. The function is to separate this part of the building from this part of the building. Uh, to, to, to do something on one side of the, uh, of the curtain that the people on the other side of the curtain uh, are not part of. And so the curtain or the veil was uh, served that purpose. It was a divider. It, it was a separator uh, that stood uh, between a uh, section uh, of the temple. Uh, and so uh, as we go back and we look then uh, at, at the description of the tabernacle to understand uh, the purpose, uh, again, this curtain, this particular veil we're talking about, uh, and without, uh, without an architecture lesson real quick, uh, and, and I'm going to give you a little bit of architecture in a moment, but there was a place in the temple known as the Holy of Holies. It is where uh, a, a piece of furniture known as the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was the place where the presence of God would come down and once a year, the high priest was the only one who was allowed to go behind the curtain uh, into that presence on behalf uh, of the people. And they, uh, again, to go in uh, unlawfully uh, or uh, someone else to go in uh, besides the high priest resulted uh, in death. Uh, so serious was this place uh, that they would, uh, they would literally tie a rope around the ankle uh, of the high priest so that if for some reason he was deemed unworthy uh, and was struck dead in the Holy of Holies, uh, that they could drag him out without having to go in their cell. Uh, and, and so this curtain was what separated uh, the Israelites and, and all of mankind for that matter, separated them from the presence uh, of God. Uh, when the priest would go in uh, on his uh, annual visit, he would go in and, and he was to make uh, offering and to make uh, appeasement with God on behalf of the people. And so he would go in uh, on their behalf. And that curtain again separated all of mankind uh, from uh, the, the very presence uh, of God. And so the first thing we have to understand to understand uh, and to really comprehend this miracle is then the symbolism uh, that is taking place there. The symbolism that takes place with the veil and with uh, the tearing uh, of the veil. As I said, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of architecture. Bear with me. But it, uh, it's important uh, to understand uh, the whole story. In the tabernacle, and if I'd have been on top of things and thought about it, I'd have you a picture over here on the side rather than my artwork. In the tabernacle, around in the first let's call it layer of the tabernacle. It was what was known as the outer court. Then there was the holy place, and then there was the most holy place, 
or the holy of holies. And between all of us, in this outer court, the nation of Israel, anyone, uh, any Israelite could come into uh, this outer court and, and gather there. They would assemble there. It was somewhat of a gathering place. Um, it, it was a place, uh, it was a common, kind of a common area, uh, if, uh, if you will. Um, and, and it was a gathering place. Then there was uh, the, the holy place. A next, next area in, separated from the outer place. And there was, uh, again, a curtain between those two places that the common Israelite couldn't go into the holy place. The priest would go into the holy place. And so the, the priest would actually go into the holy place daily um, and, and do their duties. Uh, and, and offer up uh, their, their sacrifices, their offerings uh, there. But in, then in that center bullseye location, the Holy of Holies, again, only the, the high priest uh, could enter in uh, to that area. He only went in once a year. He went in, into that place, into the presence of God, once a year. Again, in the, outer, in the outer area, in the outer court, where the Israelites gathered, there were some furniture items. There was an item known as the brazen altar and the brazen laver. Um, laver is basically a fancy biblical word for sink. Okay? There was a brazen altar and a brazen laver. And the people of Israel would come in, and, and, and what you have here, again... And, and, and I really wish I had something, again, outer court, holy place, most holy. And what you have is a model or an example, a lesson of what it takes to get close to God, to come into the presence of God. And so out here in the outer court, and, and I promise you, there is a message in here somewhere. Stick with me. What you have is, is out here in this outer court, was again the brazen altar and the brazen laver. And so they're, again, symbols of what it took to draw near to God. The altar, obviously. The altar is where sacrifices took place. It was where they would offer up uh, their, their sacrifices in the outer court where they came. Then the laver, or again, Fancy word for saint was the place for cleansing. Uh, and teaches you cannot approach God without, first of all, uh, there being a, a, a bloody sacrifice. And I, I know today that a lot of people uh, don't want to talk about the bloody part uh, of the sacrifice, the bloody part of Christianity. You can't talk about Christianity without talking about the blood. You can't separate. And so there had to be uh, a, a bloody sacrifice. And then there had to be cleansing, which took place at the laver. And so that was the symbol. Then, as the priest would come in to the next level, to the holy place, at the holy place was some more furniture. There was a table of showbread, and there was a, a, a golden candlestick. 
And again, the high priest, or not the high, but the priest would come in and also uh, a golden altar of incense. I forgot, the three pieces of furniture uh, in, in the holy place. And they would come in and uh, there they would uh, again perform their functions. And then one more step into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant, its golden cover that was known as the mercy seat was there and uh, the, the cherubim that were, the golden cherubim that were around uh, the Ark of the Covenant and the cloud of God's glory. And these were symbols of God's presence. And it was a reminder to everyone who came, these are the steps to get near to God. This is how you get near God. This is the presence of God. And in the tabernacle, we have all of this symbolism that shows us the sinner's progress, if you will, to get into the presence of God to, for acceptable worship to come to God. Uh, again, it also says, reminds us, reminded them that there were obstructions to getting to God. There were barriers of, to get to worship God. Again, imagine, again, let's, for, for real poor analogy, let's take this building and, and make it into the tabernacle, the temple for a moment, okay? Back there in the open area where there are no chairs, that would be the outer court, okay? Here would be the holy place. And here, and if I really wanted to make this work right, I'd pull the curtain shut, this would be the holy of holies. Imagine for a moment that you came into this building to worship. First of all, and let me, let me put this, outside of those walls was the court of the Gentiles. If you weren't an Israelite, you couldn't even get to here. So imagine if you were, for a moment, if you pulled in the parking lot here, and we, you got out, and you said, we need to see your papers. Oh, you've got to stay out here in the parking lot. You can't come in. Oh, okay. You, you can come in, and you can stand back here in the back, but you can't have a seat. Not only can you not have a seat, but there was a wall. There would be a wall there where you can't only... It's not like you can stand back there and watch. You have to just stand back there and... You can't see. You can't hear. You can't participate in the music. You can't hear the testimony. You can't hear the preaching. You just stand around out there in the back until it's time to go home, and then you go out and you go home. Well, let's say maybe, just maybe, you're in the right group and you get to come in and have a seat. But even then, the curtains are pulled and the only real difference between you and them is you get a seat. You can't hear or see what's going on up here on the platform. 
All the worshiping's taking up taking place up here. And all you can see is a pull curtain. You can't see, you can't hear. You can't see them, you can't hear them. That we're in those groups. What would that what would that say to you if you walked into a church building and they said, Oh, you can't you gotta stand back here. They don't want me here. I can't go in. There are obstacles here. If you talk about some negative Google reviews, yeah. It would be, yeah. But that's exactly what worship I may be exaggerating just a hair, but I mean, it's basically the idea of what worship looked like to the Jew. I can go in the outer court. Oh, wait a minute. Let me do it this way. You can stand back here, but let me, let me really throw the, 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 the monkey wrench in the whole, whole diagram. You have to stay back here where there's no seats. You can't sit down, you can't see, you can't hear, you can't be part of the service, but the ushers will be out in a moment with the offering plate. Oh, and you must give. It's not optional. You can't come in, you can't be part, but you must give. You must pay a temple tax. You must, you must give a certain amount of money to keep this whole place running even though you are bound to stand back there in the back behind the wall. That was worship for the Jew at that time. That's what all of those things, including that curtain, said. We're shut off. Even the priests were shut into this section. Even the priests couldn't come into the presence of God. Those veils all served the same purpose. They, they, they concealed, they hid what was behind each level. Again, you can go so far, but only so far. You can't go any further. You can't see, you can't know, you can't participate in what goes on at the next level. If you're a Gentile, you're out there. If you're a Jew, you're back there. If you're a priest, you're up here. If you're the high priest, you're here once a year. If you do come in, you've got to go past the altar, the laver. You've got to use the showbread. You've got to go all those steps, all the way. If you are one of the ones who is allowed to come in, everybody, the, again, the, the symbol was, again, very clear. It was very obvious. There's barriers between me and God. There's barriers between me and God. The highest the average Jew could ever hope to get, the closest they could ever hope to get to God was standing back there in the back behind one, two veils. That was the closest they could ever hope to get to God. The second veil, this holy of holies veils, concealing the very presence of God, concealing that from everybody else. And that second veil, this is the one the Bible's talking about when it says it was torn from the top to the bottom. The one that stood 
between the presence of God. One that was made out of fine linen, blue, purple, and gold, stood there, but again, blocking view and access to the Holy of Holies and to the very presence of God. I can only imagine that the priest, well, probably at every level, probably the Jews standing back there in the back, looked at that first curtain and just, oh, I'd love to go behind that curtain. I'd love to see what's behind that curtain. I'm sure the everyday priest standing in the holy place stood and looked at the holy of holies and stood and looked and thought, oh, if I could just be the high priest for once. Oh, how I'd love to go into the presence of God. Oh, how I'd love to go into the Holy of Holies. How I'd love to have the opportunity to see the Ark of the Covenant, to see the cloud of glory, to know the heartbreak of knowing I'll never get behind that curtain. I'll never get to go. I'll never get to see. As impressive as it was, it had to be heartbreaking. I can imagine, I can imagine that there were times that the, the, the priest went right up to the veil, just right up to it, maybe kind of lean their ear in, see if they could hear anything. What a statement. That curtain said loudly, you can go this far, but no further. This is as close as you can get to God. And I'm belaboring that point, I know. But I'm doing it for a reason, because you and I today, it's so foreign to us. We're used to riding down the road and being like, oh Lord. We're used to being in the doctor's office and being able to go, God, we need to talk. We're used to being going out on our daily walk or our exercise routine. While we walk, while we exercise, whatever, we're saying, Lord, we, let, let's talk for you know. We're used to being able to sit down, you know, lay down at night and lay in our bed and look up at the skies and, 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 and talk. We're so used to that that this concept is just inconceivable for the human mind today. Now, with the shout of Christ, that veil is torn from top to bottom. It's over. It's torn. But here's what I like about what God did. He tore it from top to bottom, but he left it hanging there in two pieces. Where it once said, this far and no further, the veil still hung, torn in half, but it still hung there. It was still there to remind them, you know, once upon a time, you didn't have access to God. Once upon a time, you couldn't talk to God. Once upon a time, you couldn't experience God. But now, instead of saying this far and no further, that torn veil said to everyone, not just the Jew, but the Gentile out in the outer court, it said, come on in. Come on in. In a split second. The symbolism of that veil was completely changed. Now everybody...
could see behind it. Now everybody could go behind it. This house, again, notice this, the building wasn't destroyed. I told you about this a moment ago. The building was just the veil. Just the idea. So the idea of worship was still there. The idea of coming to God is still there. But the method of coming to God has been transformed in a moment. A veil again that had said for years to generations of Israelites, get out. Now said, come on over. Come on over and talk with me. Come on over and have a revelation, have a relationship with me. It wasn't, it wasn't like the vandals had tore it up or teenagers had broke in and tore it down. It was like the veil said, I quit. It's torn from top to bottom. It's important to notice that, again, it says it was torn from top to bottom. That it wasn't that it got threadbare, that it got rotten, that the moths ate it. It didn't decay. It didn't rot. Didn't dry rot. It wasn't that it just wore out, but it was that the hand of God, the mind of God said, split. And it was torn. It was God throwing open access to the heavens. It was God saying to you and I and everyone before us and everyone after us, come on in and worship with me. Come on in. It was torn. Again, from top to bottom, this statement makes it very clear. This was not a result of the earthquake. This was not some random act. Again, this was not vandals. This was not the priest going, you know what? I'm tired of this mess. This was the hand of God saying, access granted. Access granted. Open the doors and come in. Listen, at the instant that Christ died on the cross, that veil was thrown open. You see the shout. As we talked about earlier, the veil was torn immediately, it says here, after the shout, as Christ shouted. There were two cries. We talked about one last week, the one just before noon, and then this one uh, just after the darkness ended that, uh, that brought about uh, these... Uh, these events that Jesus comes and, and, and shouts out my God, my God why hast thou forsaken me the second was a shout saying nothing uh, just a shout followed by it is finished it was done listen his life's work it was complete he had taken our sins and put them on his back listen the second shout was his cry of victory it was a shout of victory as he overcame uh, the, the cross, as he was victorious over sin. And again, mentioned this last week, even the Roman centurion at his feet has to look up and say, Surely this is the Son of God. Surely this is the Son of God. And with that, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the beginning of 3 o'clock, important, 3 o'clock, the beginning of the evening sacrifice. So all the priests would have been gathered in the holy place when the veil was torn. The peak point for witnesses to the event 
one of the things that's interesting about this event is that the priest, again, would have been out here performing their duties when that veil was torn. And then we have the gospel writers and the disciples going out and preaching about this event. And not once in Scripture, not once in history, do we have a single priest, single record of anybody stepping up and saying, no, no, that's not the way it happened. Not once is this questioned or doubted. So we have this silence. The fact that nobody disputes even outside of the church. Obviously, we believe it. The Bible says it. It's what we do. I hope. But even outside of the church, there's no one who ever disputed the accuracy of these words. They dispute a lot of things in Scripture, but not even the priest who was standing right out here and had a front row seat ever come forward and said, Nope. That's not the way it happened at all. They never disputed the events, the tearing of the temple. Again, nobody, the enemies of Christ, nobody says a word. Nobody ever questions whether or not they didn't, it just didn't happen. They, they, they acknowledge that it happened. Then you have the statement, so what? Somebody got a tore up curtain. I'm sure there's probably some of you sitting here this morning say, torn up curtains? I got some torn up curtains. Yeah. What's the big deal about a torn up curtain? What's it prove? First of all, the veil being torn from top to bottom made it impossible for the high priest to do his job. The high priest once a year went behind the curtain on behalf of the people. No curtain, no job. No need. Don't need you to go back there anymore. I can see it now. We don't need you. Second of all, uh, the, the secrecy of it all is gone. For years, the average Israelite had wondered what went on behind that curtain. No more secrecy. Now they can see everything that's back there. Third, now these priests, they're not needed either. We don't need anybody anymore to go and offer sacrifices on our behalf. We don't need anybody else to go in. If I were to go to the Holy of Holies, the door's open. I can go myself. I can walk right in. Fourth and most importantly, those that have for so long had to stand in the back where there were no chairs, could come on in. They could come into the very presence of God. They could come and go as they please. Here's what happened. When that veil was torn from top to bottom, the entire meat, everything the temple represented was taken away by taking down that veil. Everything it stood for was removed by tearing it. Took down all the rituals. No more re. I, I, why do I? I don't need to go back there to the brazen altar and the and the laver. I don't need to go offer a sacrifice anymore. 
I only did that trying to get into the presence of God. I don't need, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to t go to the priest. I don't need to have all of that in one instant was pushed to the side. One instant it was done. It took the meaning out of the entire temple, all the rituals, everything else that was done. It tore down. But here's one of the, here's what ought to make those of you sitting here today shout. I've talked about this place in the temple, that place in the temple, that place in the temple. But what it, the main thing it did for you and I was it tore down that wall that kept you and I out in the parking lot as Gentiles. It tore down the wall between the Gentiles and the Jews, and now all of man, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. And now all of mankind had access. He opened the very presence of God to all of mankind. Where, again, <coughs> why, why, and, and, and the question comes in, Maybe, maybe somebody listening today, watching today, might say, well, why in the world were all those walls there to start with? Why in the world would God keep his presence behind the curtain and the priest behind the curtain and the Jews in another section and the Gentiles? Why all that division? Why all those walls? One word. You know what that word is? You know what the one word? Anybody? Sin. Sin. One word was responsible for this wall, that wall, that wall, every one of them. Sin. Sin had separated man from God. When we come back into the Word of God, we go back to a day, we go back to a time, we're in the cool of the evening, the presence of God came down, and He walked with man. He talked with man. He dwelt with man. He fellowshiped with man. And then we read that one day in that place, that woman decided that she was deceived by the serpent and took part of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, shared it with her husband. And from that point on, there was a barrier erected between man and God. And from that day forward, the walls went up. But from that day forward, God began... I, here's what I like about the symbolism of the temple. It was a curtain. It was a curtain. It wasn't a brick wall. It was a curtain. While there may have been walls... In each wall, there was a door. And at each wall stood a door. And at each door, there was a method and there was a process for moving forward and moving forward to the presence of God until Jesus Christ came to Calvary, died on that cross, and threw all that off and said, you don't have to go through the process. You don't have to be blocked outside by walls. You can come freely to me. You can come freely into my presence. Again, all of these veils, all of these walls, all of these pieces of furniture, all the way along the journey, reminded man that, that 
they couldn't have a relationship uh, with him because of their sin. And what was symbolized in, uh, in that veil was finished in Jesus Christ. And Christ became the golden altar. Christ became the sacrifice. Christ tore down those barriers, what was symbolized by those veils, the victory of his death, burial, and resurrection overcame this wall and that wall and that wall and any other wall. Listen, the tabernacle had wall, wall, wall. But I want you to know something. Over time, the priests and others in the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, they had erected 10,000 more walls keeping man from God. But Jesus Christ came in and in one swoop took down all the barriers and all the walls and said, all who are burdened, all who are heavy burdened, heavy laden, come unto me. Come unto me. Listen, the settlement. The high priest was removed from his office with a shout. You know what that final shout from the cross said? You're fired. You're fired to the high priest. We don't need you anymore. We want to talk to God, we'll talk to Him. If we want to go into the presence of God, we'll go into the presence of God. If you want to go, go ahead, but we're going to. Listen, now Christ Himself picked up the role of high priest. and He would take His own blood, His own sacrifice, and He would make that final sacrifice once and for all, as is described for us in the great book of Hebrews, that He would make that sacrifice, and He would become our high priest, and He would settle it forever, that anybody that wanted to come to the Father didn't have to go through curtain after curtain, golden altar after golden labor through the high priest, through the high priest. But if they wanted to come to the Father, they came straight to Him through Jesus Christ. That's what this veil symbolizes. That's what it represents. Listen, He removed all the barriers and made it that way. Listen, Hebrews again says we have boldness. We can enter in boldly into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Listen, that torn veil says... The door is open. The door is open. This morning, I want you to know that whatever you carried into this place, there are no walls. There are no barriers. There are no obstacles between you and the presence of God. There are many Christians who are going through this life burdened and discouraged and Satan has told them God doesn't care. God's not concerned about your problems. God's not, you can't talk to God about that little open, listen, that open veil says everybody, everybody, the door is open. You can go into the presence of God and make your burdens, make your problems, Tell him whatever is on your heart. There are even Christians today who don't think they can go to God boldly, as the writer of Hebrews says. We can go boldly through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
If anybody tries to ask you, who let you in? You said he did. You pointed Jesus. He did. He did. But this morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never asked him into your heart, Satan's whispering in your ear and saying to you, you can't, you can't be saved. You remind him with a shout. Christ opened the door. Tore the temple. Made access to God available. You're here today and you don't know Christ personally. You don't know him as your Lord and Savior. You're joining us online. Would you ask Christ to come into your heart today? Would you ask him to say that he's already paid the price, torn the temple, and opened the door? made a way. I like that song that says he is a way maker. He is a way maker. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. here today and you've got burdens, you've got problems, questions, and you think, I can't bother God with that. I, Satan's told you, you can't trouble God. That's not a big deal. God doesn't want to hear your problems. Yes, he does. With a shout, he threw open the door and said, come on in. Whatever your burden is, whatever your need, would you take it to him today? You're here today, you're online, you don't know Christ personally. You've never asked him into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Never asked him for forgiveness of your sins. If you were to die right now, you'd spend eternity separated from God. You know you're far from God. The day you want to take that first step, you want to come to him. He opened the door when he tore that veil. Would you give him your heart today? Father, we come to you this morning, God, just asking you, God, if you would, allow your spirit to move in this place for those joining us online. God, there are Christians carrying burdens, discouraged, defeated, God, who need to come into your presence and lay it down. We need to have a conversation, need to have a fellowship with you. God, there's some this morning that don't know you personally. You made the way. Your son provided access for salvation. Through him, all must be saved. God, if there's one here today, one online that doesn't know you personally, God, today will be the day that they come to know you. We'll give you the honor for all you do. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand up.
Thank you. 